Hello, it's good to be with you again. There are some amazing accounts, stories in the Bible of people who are willing and those who are unwilling. And we will see that um, there is a, a very important difference and what happens with our lives. Um, as Isaiah chapter 1 verse 19, this is a wonderful promise that God gives. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat of the good of the land. And we see that if you, if you are willing, uh, you will eat of the good of the land. If you are not willing, you won't eat of the good of the land. Um, let's take up the story in Numbers chapter 14, starting at verse 22. And Israel is refusing to enter Canaan um, through unbelief and fear. And verse 22, because all, God is speaking, he says, And because all these men who have seen my glory and the signs which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness and have put me to the test these ten times and have not heeded my voice, they certainly shall not see the land of which I swore to their fathers, nor shall any of those who rejected me see it. Verse 24, But my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit in him has followed me fully. I will bring into the land where he went and his descendants shall inherit it. And we see very clearly that the people who were unwilling, God said, you will not enter it. And they wandered. Can you imagine what it's like wandering in a wilderness for 40 years? I mean, they must have put out a lot of effort. It must have been exhausting. It must have been extremely unpleasant for 40 years. When, in fact, the spies had just been into the promised land. They weren't that far off. But they had to walk around and around and around and around. A lot of walking and, and no progress. They just didn't get anywhere. But the one who was willing, whose heart was fully committed to God, God took him into the promised land. He inherited that land flowing with milk and honey and his descendants as well. So there's a great divide between the willing and the unwilling. And this scripture, it pertains to us under the new covenant as well. A very well-known and very well-respected minister. Um, he was a pastor and then God told him to be a traveling evangelist um, and he didn't want to travel. But um, he, he obeyed God and he was traveling, uh, but he, he, I remember him saying that uh, the, the tires on his car were practically bald, his children didn't have adequate clothing, they didn't have adequate food, and he said to the Lord, you know, this scripture says that the willing and, and the obedient shall inherit, um, sorry, shall eat of the good of the land. He said, I'm not eating of the good of the land, Lord. And um, he waited and prayed, and uh, he said it again to the Lord, and the Lord said, but you don't qualify. And he said, me not qualify? I obeyed you. And the Lord said, but you're not willing. And he said, right there, and then he looked into his heart, and he got willing. And do you know that his, all his circumstances turned around, and God began to prosper him from that moment on when he was willing and obedient I want us to look at uh, another wonderful account. This is in the New Testament now. These are Jesus' disciples. Uh, and they're dedicated men. And we take up, I'll just give the little background. Jesus has just performed the amazing miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. That's 5,000 men. Then there were women and children. And in Matthew's account, chapter 14, 
verse 22, immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. When we look at that word, he made his disciples, it's a very strong word. He made them. They did not want to leave. They wanted to stay with him, but he made them get into the boat and go ahead of him. And when he'd sent the multitudes away, um, he went on to the mountain to pray. And evening came, and Jesus was alone on the mountain. Verse 24, but the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, because the wind was contrary. Or the amplified version says, um, the boat was beaten and tossed by the waves, because the wind was against them. And um, another translation, the King James, it says, the sea arose because a great wind was blowing. This is in John chapter 6. Um, and you know, they were doing a lot of rowing. I mean, they, they, these are expert mariners, and they were ex extending, a expending, sorry, a lot of effort. And they were rowing and rowing and rowing and rowing, and they weren't getting anywhere. Absolutely nowhere. Um, but then, in the middle of all this, they saw Jesus walking on the sea, drawing near the boat, and they were afraid. These are, are strong, tough men. They were frightened out of their skins. They didn't know what it was. But Jesus says to them, it's I, don't be afraid. And then they willingly received him into the boat. And so that means that actually, previously, they were very unwilling to receive him into the boat. But willingly they received him into the boat. And I love this bit. And immediately the boat was at the land where they were going. I mean, motorized isn't in it. You know, they were struggling there. It, it says that they were in the middle of the sea. And suddenly, wow, they're at the land. And so as soon as they became willing, they came to where they ought to be. And so Jesus' disciples, as, as we said, they were... They were obedient, but they weren't willing. And as soon as they became willing, as we said, they reached their destination. And while they were unwilling, they were rowing and struggling against the great wind. They were doing rowing and rowing and not a lot of going. However, hard they rowed, they stayed in the storm. They could not make progress. They, they did everything they physically could, but they could not get to their destination. And you know, likewise in our lives, we can feel that we're struggling against circumstances, against a great wind, or we can be, feel like the people in the wilderness, we're going round and round and round, and we do everything in the natural, and nothing makes it any better. But when they became willing and they received Jesus into their boat, immediately they reached the shore. And let's turn to our text, Isaiah chapter 1, verse 19. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. Willing and obedient. You see, man looks at the outward appearance, and one can appear to be um, very good because one is obeying, but God looks at the heart. Willing is on the inside of the man. It's the heart of the man. Obedient is on the outside. It's, um, it's the actions. And God says in 2 Chronicles 16, verse 9, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro uh, throughout the whole earth. Why? In order to show himself strong in behalf of those whose heart is perfect towards him. Because they say, oh, well, how can I have a perfect heart? 
Um, is, is, is a perfect heart a heart that knows everything? Is it a heart that never makes any mistakes? Is it a heart that does absolutely everything perfectly? Oh, no, 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 no. A heart that's perfect towards God is a wholehearted individual, completely willing. And so I want us to look at some other translations of this verse. Uh, in the New King James Version, it says that um, the heart is loyal towards God. And um, this is my favorite one, which is the Amplified. For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the whole earth, so that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. But is it possible to have a heart that's completely God's? Is it possible to, have, uh, to be willing to have a perfect heart and yet not perfect? Um, lovely example. I love King David. God said of King David, he's a man after my own heart. Um, it tells us in Acts chapter um, 13, 22, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will and carry out my program fully. And uh, verse 36, God is still speaking of David. He said, after he had served God's will and purpose and counsel in his own generation, he served God with all his heart, and he served God's will and purpose in his generation. He made some terrible mistakes. I mean, Bathsheba is one of them. When you think that David was uh, the indirect cause, well, he was actually the, the root cause of um, Uriah, her husband, being killed in battle. Um, he committed adultery. God said he committed murder. But when he, he was faced with his sin, he repented. He wasn't a guy that said, well, look at Bathsheba. I mean, she's the one that lured me into all this. He took all the blame and he didn't make one excuse. Now I know of, of another um, minister who is highly respected and he was one of our teachers in Bible school. Very busy man. I was so impressed how busy this man was. And for some time he'd been having an impression where he was telling this. Uh, he had an impression that he should do something that would mean more work and uh, more traveling. And he's pretty busy at the time and he felt, no, no, it can't be God, no. Um, and of course, the minute we say, well, that can't be God, the devil comes, he says, oh, no, that's not God. And so we play mind games, because as soon as we know it's God, we have to do it. Anyway, he was sitting very quietly at home one evening, and he was just fellowshipping with the Lord and worshipping God. And he realized, he had the revelation, this is from God. And he said, Lord, I live for you. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll get that um, implemented. We'll start doing that right away. And this problem that he'd had, that he'd been seeking God for and couldn't get an answer, immediately God said, and now concerning this problem that you brought towards me, this is the answer. And so you see, when we're willing uh, and we recognize God's will, uh, then he answers um, the problems that we have. You see, the one who is willing will know which way to walk. Uh, you see, if we want to see the power of God in our lives, and we want to enjoy the blessing of God, and we want the revelation of God, this is where it starts. The willing heart will open you up to receive God's wisdom, God's blessings um, in abundance. You see, after all, why, why is God going to reveal any more to you when you've ignored what he's already said? And you haven't done what he's told you to do. What, why should he say any more? And I, I've, in my own life, God will not lead me on until I've done what he's told me 
to do. And so Jesus said in John 7 verse 16, my doctrine is not mine, um, but his who sent me. Anyone, um, if anyone wills to do his will, God's will, he shall know concerning the doctrine whether it is from God or whether I speak on my own authority. It's not doing um, disfavor to scripture. If anyone wills to do God's will, he, should, he shall know whether things are from God or not from God. Do you know if anyone obeys, wants to obey God, he will know the will of God. You will. And that's beyond, that's a treasure beyond price. And so Isaiah tells us, if you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. So what happens when we're unwilling? Now here's someone else who had a boat problem. Um, I'm sure you can guess who it is. It's Jonah. Jonah's disobedience. Um, Jonah, by the way, wrote this account, so he's not such a bad guy as some people have painted him. I just wanted to give you a background history. The Syrians were a very violent people. God was calling him um, to go to Nineveh, and the Assyrians were extremely violent, very um, uh, hostile to Israel. In fact, um, they were... Um, the, the greatest threat against Israel's existence at that time. And so um, he was, you know, in the natural, rather reluctant to, to, uh, to go and give them God's message. And so I wanted to explain that Jonah is a picture of unwillingness in this whole story. Um, and here we are in Jonah chapter 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Imitai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. And so he knew it was the word of the Lord. It was like, I'm not too sure. He knew this is God. What did Jonah do? Jumped up and immediately did what God said. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Now, can you imagine God is everywhere. You are trying to flee from the presence of the Lord. Imagine um, that you're in England and you, you take a plane to Australia and you walk across the outback and I don't know, maybe there are mountains there and you climb that, you know, and I mean you're absolutely exhausted and you're fleeing from the presence of the God. What's God going to say to you? What are you doing here? You cannot flee from the presence of God. And so anyway, he was traveling towards Tashish. Um, he went to Joppa, he found a ship. I mean, he, he's, he's planned, he's planned this. This wasn't on the spur of the moment. He's got the money, it says he went down to Joppa. He found a ship going to Tashish, directly the opposite direction to Nineveh. Um, he paid the fare. Uh, he went down into the ship to go with them to Tashish, away from the presence of the Lord, but God. But the Lord sent out a great wind on the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship was about to be broken up. I mean, this is terrifying. I have been on the sea in a huge liner where there were 90-foot waves. Believe me, that was scary. That was in the Bay of Biscay. Um, and the mariners, these seamen, these are hard guys. I mean, they are used to bad weather. They are used to, to roughing it. And they were afraid, and every man cried out to his God. When death is imminent, believe me, people do not deny the presence of God. And they threw the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten the load. I mean, they're chucking out everything, absolutely everything into the sea. 
um, to lighten the load. But Jonah had gone down to the lowest parts of the ship. He'd lain down, and, and this guy's fast asleep. He, he's the only one that's fast asleep. So the captain found him. The captain came to him and said, what do you mean, sleeper? Um, arise, call on your God. Perhaps your God will consider us so that we may not perish. And they said to one another, come, let us cast lots that we may know for whose cause this trouble has come upon us. I mean, even in all their, their idolatry and, and unbelief, they actually recognized that things don't happen just haphazardly by mistake. There was a cause to all this. So they cast lots, and surprise, surprise, the lot fell on Jonah. And they said to him, please tell us, for whose cause is this trouble upon us? What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? What people are you? So Jonah said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. And then the men were exceedingly afraid. And they said to him, why have you done this? I mean, these are cursing, swearing, hard men who do not know the true and living God. And they say to him, what are you doing? I mean, why, why have you done this? Um, and the reason they said that was because the men, it says, for the men knew that he had fled from the presence of the Lord because he told them. And here they are thinking, who's nuts enough to flee away from the presence of the Lord? And they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may be calm for us? For the sea was growing more tempestuous. Whilst this is going on, I mean the boat is going up and down and up and down. It's about to be broken up. Um, and they're having this conversation. Now I do admire Jonah. I mean he could have said, well, what, what extraordinary weather we're having right now. You know, global warming or it must be one of you, or maybe there's a devil worshipper on the ship. It's, it's got to be your gods that are, you know, causing all this trouble. Um, but he, I mean, this guy's brave. He's really, you know, Jonah was not a coward. He said to them, pick me up and throw me, that the literal is hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will become calm for you. For I know that this great tempest is because of me. Nevertheless, the men rode even harder. The ro men rode hard to return to the land, but they could not, for the sea continued to grow more tempestuous against them. They chucked everything overboard, everything, but the guy that was causing the problem, and they were extending an enormous amount of effort. They were getting absolutely nowhere. Things were getting far worse, and to be honest, they were on the brink of death. Therefore, they cried out to the Lord, the one and true God, and said, We pray, O Lord, do not let us perish for this man's life, and do not charge us with innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah, and they hurled him into the sea. Guess what happened? Immediately, the sea ceased from its raging. Oh, smooth. Smooth as a duck pond. Absolutely amazing. And then the men feared the Lord exceedingly. They had seen God at work. You don't mess with the true and living God. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord, the Lord, not their gods, the Lord, and they took vows. And God is so good because God sees ahead. He knew that Jonah was going to do this. 
And the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. This is a picture. Jesus referred to it. He said, even as Jonah was in the belly of the whale for three days and three nights, so shall the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. And we go to chapter 2. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the fish's belly. And he said, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction. And he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol, that's Hades, I cried. And you heard my voice. I believe with all my heart he died and he went into Sheol. You cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas. And the floods surrounded me. All your billows and waves passed over me. Then I said, I've been cast out of your sight, yet I will look again towards your holy temple. He describes drowning. The waters surrounded me, even to my soul. This is even unto death. The deep closed around me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. I went down to the moorings of the mountains. I want to point this out. Here he talks about the mountains under the sea. And I know even in my childhood, they said, oh, you know, people didn't agree that there were mountains. How could there be mountains under the sea? It's all flat. But now they have these amazing little sort of buggy things that are like miniature submarines. And they go down, 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 deeper than anyone's ever been. And guess what? There are mountains. Um, and so I, hi I highly recommend, actually, you listening to um, Pastor Derek's a scientific accuracy of the Bible. It's full of these wonderful things that have come out um, from the Old Testament thousands of years before the machinery that we use to find out that the, it's really true. So I went down to the moorings of the mountains. The earth with its bars closed behind me forever. To me, that is a picture of going into Sheol, into Hades. Yet, you have brought up my life from the pit, O oh Lord my God, when my soul fainted within me, when I came to the point of death, this is what I believe he's saying, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer went up to you into your holy temple. Those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy. But I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving, now he, Jonah is willing. He has a very willing heart. He says, I will pay what I have vowed. I have vowed to obey you, and I will obey you. Salvation is of the Lord. His deliverance will be from God. He trusts him to deliver him. And also the result of him going to Nineveh is entirely up to the Lord. So the Lord spoke to the fish. I love this too. Immediately. Willingness. God speaks immediately. It vomited Jonah onto dry land. Jonah finds that he is where he's supposed to be. Jonah's disobedience, as we see, nearly cost the lives of all the men on the ship. It also cost him his life. He went down into Sheol and Hades. But as soon as he became willing and obedient, God got him to the place where he should have been. As we know, he goes into Nineveh, he preaches the word of the Lord. Um, no, sorry, <laughs> the word of the Lord came to him a second time. And so God speaks to him again and says to him, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach to it the message that I tell you. And he arose and went to Nineveh, 
and it actually the whole the whole place the whole city got saved um, and tremendous when you think revival but you know supposing you've taken a wrong route supposing you've taken a wrong place and you are struggling God brought get willing look into your heart to see am I willing because you see the attitude of our heart whether it's willing or it's not willing it affects not just us it affects our family it affects our children our children's children it affects our friends um, it affects where we work it affects the city it affects the country and sometimes even the world and so let's remember that Israel was unwilling to obey God and they perished in the wilderness, went round and round and round, they absolutely exhausted themselves. After 40 years, they died there. They never got to where God wanted them. But Caleb had a different spirit because he was wholehearted to God and he inherited the promised land flowing with milk and honey for himself and his descendants. And Jesus' disciples, they were unwilling. They didn't want to be in the boat. And then they were unwilling for him to get in it because they were terrified they didn't know who it was. And they travailed. They did a lot of rowing and rowing and not much going. I mean, they were getting nowhere fast. But as soon as they were willing to receive Jesus into their boat, immediately, just immediately, they were at the shore. They were where they were supposed to be. May I ask you a question? Do you need to allow Jesus into your business, into your family, into your marriage, into your ministry. You see, Jonah was a picture of unwillingness. He disobeys God and he, gets, he brings trouble on himself and the fellow passengers. But as soon as they throw unwillingness out of the boat, which is Jonah, the sea becomes calm. They were chucking everything out, everything they could think of except unwillingness. You may have thrown everything out of your life and tried and tried and tried, but if there's unwillingness there, as soon as you throw unwillingness out, then you will find that God will bring you to where you need to be. He will give you the answer to that question that you are desperately seeking him for. Jonah gets willing, God raises him from the dead, Nineveh gets saved. Imagine that. I mean, a whole city gets saved. And so every year, every month, Every week, every day, we should ask ourselves, Lord, do I have unwillingness in my heart? Whatever we do, we should do it heartily unto the Lord. Um, and so King David prayed after he'd sinned, Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. And it's God who effectively works in us um, to will and to do his good pleasure. So we can pray to God and ask him to give us a willing heart. We can pray with confidence. And I, I would like you to pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, show me any unwillingness in my heart. Father, by your grace, with the help of your Holy Spirit, I purpose to throw overboard all unwillingness from my heart. Strengthen me to do this. You've redeemed me with the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, I love you. I live for you. You are everything to me. I want all of you in all of me. I want all of you in everything to do with me. I want your will in my life. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer, you know God is working inside you. God bless you. Mm -hmm.